Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, Tim Ryder from the Apple. My co-host, Taryn Sharma. And we've even got some guests with some special guest hosts with us, uh, co-hosts with us today. You guys re- really know, need no introduction, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, co-hosts of the Mets Up, uh, Mets Up Pod. from uh, It's the official podcast of the New York Mets, of course. Mark Luino, James Shiano. What's happening, guys? Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Hanging yeah, out. Thanks. Thanks, Tim and Taryn. Excited to talk some ball with you guys. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I mean, we've had we've been off for a couple of weeks, but the Mets have had some uh, some ups and downs recently. I guess we're not going to get into the whole mix up. But what's everybody's thoughts on the, um, I guess, Carlos Norea? You get it? No Correa? Come on. I thought that yeah. was going to hit. Oh, I thought that was going to hit. Sorry. I liked uh, Karamas better, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, still good. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, clearly a bummer, um, but it's not just the Mets. Uh, the Giants obviously saw something as well. Um, they offered him the six years and 157 guaranteed, and then he could get the other half of it, the other six years and 157 and a half uh, by passing physicals. They decided that they didn't want to go that route. So I, I think it kind of is what it is, but definitely a bummer. Yeah. The way that I feel is that, you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda kind of thing of like, it would have been amazing if Carlos Cray was a part of this team. He definitely would have made them a whole lot better. But I don't think that the season's outcome completely depended on Carlos Cray being on this team. So that's kind of where I'm I'm standing. Like, is it a little bit of trying to cope with the fact that he's not on the Mets? Probably as well. But I don't know. Like I now being a couple of weeks removed from it, or uh, is it even a couple of weeks? It feels like a couple of weeks at least. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm trying to block it out from my brain so much because it's like it, it. Not that it's not important to talk about, but it almost doesn't even matter anymore because it's like now we got Eduardo Escobar and Bay to focus on and stuff like that. I just I. I almost never actually processed that it was ever real because it never really felt real. And because we've, we've gotten to this habit now with the Mets where like, it's only official when it's official, you know? So the fact that it was never official, I never actually like let myself get into that mental headspace. I was like, Oh yeah, nice. Carlos Correa is the third baseman, New York Mets. Like I started to like, think it might be true, but then once it kept going and going, I was like, I'm just going to separate myself from this, not allow it to happen. Very healthy way of coping with emotions. You guys should probably try and uh, take some notes here. So yeah, I did the same thing with Jacob deGrom all of last season and the season before we're like, if we get him cool, if not, I, it's like, they don't even exist. And that's how I'm treating Carlos Correa for the rest of his career, basically. Yeah, uh, I allowed myself to be hurt, not to the point where I was one of those people that was ordering the Korea jerseys, like the knockoff Chinese jerseys. But uh, I was definitely thinking about how great it would be with him in the lineup. And could Beatty learn left field? And uh, I let myself get carried away a little bit. Here's a question over under 0.5 Carlos Correa Mets jerseys on opening day in the ballpark. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to take 
Oh, I was going to say over. I'm going yeah. hard over. I was, on that. I was going over. There's going to be at least one person who's got Carlos Cray jersey. There's at least one person who might not know that he's not on that team still. <laughs> There's probably a few. And uh, a lot of them were purchased. Poor kid gets a Christmas gift. It's like its first Mets jersey. Uh-huh. It's like, no, it's my only one. I'm wearing it. I don't care. Good for him. That'd be really funny. That would be a good one to keep track of. Everyone should keep track of that one if you're in the park in April. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we got it. Now we'll have to sneak pictures with with permission, of course. Like, oh, we got to get a picture of that we have to document the Correa jersey. <laughs> um, yeah, at least you know. To me, I'm kind of in the same boat as far as Correa. Like, it was gravy to begin with. The Mets didn't. I know Steve Cohen said it said that oh we needed him, and they certainly do need another bat. And I think they're still looking for some pop in their lineup. But you know, a player of that caliber, a player of of, of that financial worth you know to a club that already had such a high payroll you know it's um it's dressing almost and with the depth that they have at third base whether it be eduardo escobar who had a great second half brett Beatty, who's got a lot of promise he keeps on kind of bubbling up in the prospect ranks i wouldn't even be shocked to see luis guillorme get reps he's a super utility man um he could certainly man third base you know i think the mets are kind of in a good spot here. Are you guys expecting to see Beatty in the mix? I feel like Beatty is at least going to get a shot. And I think he should, should get a shot, especially with the fact that Escobar, like, you know, for the crazy season that I did had still was above average last year, which is probably what he'll end up doing again. Um, But like the fact that his defense is so weak, I think you should give Beatty a shot at least just because, the ceiling on Escobar doesn't feel high enough where you shouldn't at least take a chance on Beatty maybe being able to give a little bit more. And I feel like the platoon situation just feels like it makes too much sense of let Escobar hit against lefties and let Brady Beatty face the righties, uh, at least the easier righties, to say the least. So, yeah, I think he deserves a shot, at least uh, coming out of spring training. I I agree with that, too, but I also think that the Mets are going to leave. No, I'm not going to say that. I think, I think there's a good chance that he doesn't like start with this job opening day, even at all, because unless he really tears the cover off the ball in the spring, I think they might as well just say like, let's go in with the most proven commodities we have to start. And you're someone who played a lot last year. Well, not a lot. It was like what 10, like 11 games. Your defense was fine. The bat was probably not as much power as they would have hoped for in that small sample size, but it doesn't really mean anything. It was the first time he got into the league. So they already have like the baked in excuse to be like, all right, start the year in the minor leagues, keep practicing, keep seasoning, get yourself hot, get your confidence up and then come up when you're feeling good rather than come in with a lot of pressure on your shoulders. Because if you bring him in with a lot of pressure on the shoulders and then there's more struggles, then you're going to send him down after three, four bad weeks. That's just less of like, that doesn't like really that's not really a good way to build a kid's confidence. I feel like the best way to do it is if he tears a cover off the ball in the spring, you did it. You won the job. Gas that chance to win it. But if not kind of leave yourself the opportunity to help him grow if he still needs to. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that a lot of people are grouping the situations between Alvarez and Beatty together. And I think that they're very different situations. The positions are just so different in terms of their requirements. And I think also just how the Mets see them. Um, my understanding is that the the Mets really see Alvarez as being a catcher. And so it's very important for him to learn how to catch. And that's very difficult to do at, at the big league level. And it's especially difficult to do if um, that's an area where you really kind of need to shore up a weakness to begin with. Um, I, I'm with you guys. I, I think that he can win the job, but only by being 
absolutely phenomenal for a few weeks uh, in March. I, I think it's going to be Eduardo Escobar on opening day, barring some sort of injury. So hopefully stays healthy. But um, yeah, Mark, I think your point is really well taken in that um, the, the platoon just makes a ton of sense in this situation, especially given what we saw Escobar struggle with last year. What do you guys make of uh, of the concerns over Beatty's defense? I, I know that some people have talked about it maybe not being uh, at, at, a, at a high level, at a major league level right now. I feel like Beatty's defense gets overblown in both ways. Like, I think there are a lot of Mets fans that are giving him too much credit, and I think there are a lot of people that are not giving him enough. Uh, and I feel like he's probably just a completely okay, fine third baseman defensively. Like, I don't think he'll be the worst in the league. I don't think he'll be the best in the league. And I guess it's a little bit weird because, you know, the last real third baseman we had is David Wright, and he was so good at that position. So it feels like it's been a while since we haven't really had someone who knows how to play that position. And the only other guy was really J.D. Davis, and we know he couldn't play it at all. So I think he's going to be fine. Like, I don't think he's going to be a problem or a liability defensively by any means. And, and most of the, and almost everyone, I mean, speaking from experience, like no one really watches, crunches a lot of minor league film. So we don't really see all the plays that Brett Bailey can make. Like, oh, there's him going to his left. There's him going to his right. There's his arm. People saw like 10 games of high pressure baseball as his first ever exposure to the major leagues when he was still only like, what, 22 years old, which is younger, even a tad younger than a lot of prospects debut. So I do think that it's just like any situation with any kind of group of fans of anything. Like I saw this small sample of this one thing. So now it has to be true even though it might not be. And I think there's probably good reason to believe he'll at least be average there. Yeah. I'm I'm glad in that sense that we didn't go directly from David Wright to Brett Beatty having this job. That would have been a whole <laughs> a lot more pressure. Oh, yeah. Th- thank God. We just had a nice black hole there for the last six years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we erasing Todd Fraser from our memories guys? Come on. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Todd mm-hmm. father. Yeah. I'd like Let's to do a salt and pepper shaker, a salt and pepper shaker for Todd. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Check that, check that uh, Tom's River weather. Well, yeah, traffic, I'm sorry. The weather is Mike Trout. <laughs> Todd, Todd Frazier. players are weird. Yeah, even he's he, signing him was just like the exact same thing to signing Eduardo Escobar. It was like, here's this guy, he's 32. He's fine. He's going to be fun. Yeah, it's like, like, which is which is a good way to get by, honestly. But it's funny. It's just funny how like these different players are viewed in different ways when you look back. Yeah, very, very much a vibes guy. Yeah. So Uh, you need vibes guys. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, who's more of a vibes guy between the two of them. Ooh, I think it's, I think it's different. I think Todd Frazier's like the like cool, like uncle kind of thing where it's like, all right, the old elder statesman where like Eduardo Escobar is like your cool cousin. I feel like, and like you go out (laughs) with Eduardo, you're going to have a good time. You're going to have some fun. Todd Frazier's like, I'm going to sit down and teach you a couple things about life. I think, (laughs) I think both of them are your cousins, but neither of them are actually your cousins. If you know what I mean? Like they both exude that energy where it's like, I call them a cousin. I think of them as a cousin, but I know like there's no, there's no blood here. You guys remember those videos of Eduardo Escobar? It was probably like four or five years ago when he was still in Arizona and they were a bad team like a really bad team, one of the worst teams in baseball. But every time they'd win, he would gather like half the locker room and do like a very, like a very specific ethnic dance. I don't exactly remember what it was or what it was called, but those videos went, used to go viral here and there. It would be like, it would be like a, a two-step in the, in the Diamondbacks locker room. And that, that's what the Escobar brings. Him and uh, David Peralta. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Almost had a reunion there. Well, wasn't, uh, who was their hitting coach there? Their hitting coach was, um, uh, the bench coach now. Um, Tip of my freaking tongue. The Mets. Chavez? Yes, thank you. 
Yeah. In, in Arizona? Arizona. Oh, I, I, know could, that. I could distinctly remember him wearing a, a, a double bubble bubble gum bucket on his head after <laughs> a walk off. <laughs> but I think oh, I think Eduardo Escobar is still a good player. I think to have on a major league team like that, we don't look back at that contract being like, "God damn it!" Oh no, look, it's a it's a fine. Like I'm 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 more happy than not that he is on this roster right now. Absolutely. Now mm-hmm. I'm I'm of the school of thought that Beatty gets reps at third. That everybody gets reps at DH, which has been a very <laughs> a point of contention among Mets fans in recent days and weeks. Like, you know, you have Vogelback, you have Ruff, you have Fam now who's mixed in. We're going to talk about the outfield shortly. But, you know, these guys are all kind of lined up for, for DH reps, Narvaez, whoever else might be getting an off day, get the bench in the field, whatever. You know, despite early reports that Alvarez is not going to be with the big club, despite our discussions that, you know, Beatty might not fit into the plans right away, just for major league at bats and being with a major league ball club, do you guys see benefits in having young guys who might not fit right away or kind of just acclimating themselves to being major leaguers? Do you see benefits in that? Or do you think that the Alvarez situation might be better off, you know, tapered, tapered off into the minors and then boom into the majors once it's time? Or That's a really good question. That's think- tough. I think you kind of have to look at it from an organization where it's like, what, what's worse for this player's development? Like, what if I'm in AAA, but it's the competition. I'm so above it that I'm not, that nothing's happening. Or if I get to the major league level, there's still something with my game where I'm not cracking the lineup every day. You know what I mean? It's like, is are you better off just beating people who are worse than you or not being able to actually compete every single day, which is what you're used to? I feel like this is very similar. It's not similar in like the production, but the idea is very similar to what the hell Jerry Kalanick is currently start, or stuck in where I'm not good enough for the majors and I'm way too good for AAA. So what do you actually do with me? Is it worth me sitting around and struggling and trying to figure it out or just keep on mashing at AAA and hopefully I get confidence that leads into the major league level? I feel like with Alvarez, though, it's a little bit different because he is a catcher and he definitely still has that catching like he needs to learn that catching ability a little bit more. So while triple a talent wise, we know is probably not as strong as double a, I got to assume on the pitching side, it's at least more major league ish pitchers where it might be useful for him to catch some of those kind of guys just to see how they pitch to see how they think a little bit more. Um, And if, if he's not going to play, he shouldn't be on the team. That's really what it comes down to, because I think at the end of the day, if there's no playing time versus playing time, you always take the playing time. Um, and if that's in AAA, I think it'd be more beneficial. And it's also, this isn't a world where those two guys like completely dominated the upper minors to the point where like, there's no shadow of a doubt. Like even Alvarez last year in 40 games in AAA had like by far the worst, like one like worst power outputs he ever had in any level. And he was striking out a little bit more. So like, again, this is not like me to say that Francisco Alvarez is a bust as a 20 year old in AAA who's striking out a little bit extra or that Brett Beatty, like he's having trouble lifting the ball sometimes. So maybe he's not ready yet, but it's not like these guys are so, so, so dominant, so far better than league average, so far better than the options we have in the team right now that would be like this massive disservice for them to be in triple a i think even last year the the press to get alvarez up was more about the offensive struggles at the major league level than how well he was doing i mean he was starting to figure it out it seemed like uh at syracuse those last 10 games or so but it, it definitely i agree with you was not uh he was not blowing the competition out of the water but 
again, I, I think that the Mets have made pretty clear, especially in the Narvaez signing, that they're prioritizing defense. And uh, and I think that that's really what's going to define the path forward for Alvarez. And I feel like with Alvarez, too, you have to keep in mind that right now he is he is the third catcher. And if there is an injury or something that goes to one of these guys, he is going to have to catch at the major league level. So I would rather him be getting in those reps at AAA until he's really, really ready, I think, right now. Because if there is injury, he, he's got to be able to catch Max Scherzer. He's got to be able to catch Justin Verlander. That's not something that you can really just be thrown into when you've been sitting on the bench for the first month and a half of the season. Yeah. Let's also never forget our, our guy, uh, Michael Perez, though. He yeah, of course. Of course. course. Legend. <laughs> now, King of Risp. <laughs> um, are you guys prepared to see Darren Ruff in, you know, in actual important at bats, you know, is this okay as as a fan base? Are we happy with this? <laughs> I I'm 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 totally ready to see Darren Ruff. I'm just going <laughs> to mute his name on Twitter and be like, I don't care. Like the what? Like the worst case scenario is he's like, I don't know. The worst case scenario is just he's not on the team after a few months. Like this team has shown no no like no qualms about making a move that's more about baseball and about money. And he's not like he's really even do that much money, but. Darren Ruff is just like, he's become like this pariah and this like scapegoat for the entire fan base for like a trade deadline that wasn't, even though when he came at the deadline, he was hitting incredibly well. And he had like three good games immediately and he pitched in a blowout and then he was <laughs> awful from the rest of the season. So I'm trying to like be anecdotal about it and believe projections and believe process and believe like some past results more so than like the 30 at bats I saw when I was like, I'm just really mad right now. <laughs> I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And just cause I am going to mess prepare myself for him to be on the roster opening day. I mean, I made, I made such a big statement that when they traded for him, I thought it was such a great move that I just have to really stick to it and hope that he can eventually, you know, play well just for my take to I hit. Can. And I can, I can chirp back at everybody who told me I'm an idiot, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was pretty horrible. And I, I think that injury probably was lingering. And I think that might be why he performed so poorly because he has always hit lefties well. And I do believe that in a role with this Mets team, especially with Vogel back struggling against lefties, like there's a spot for him that makes sense. It's just if he doesn't perform, you do have to move on, I think, relatively quickly. I don't know how much, you know, time you give him. You give him a month. You get the same thing as Kano last year. You give him one month. One month yeah. to hit. If you can't do it, here we tried. We're sorry. We'll see you later. Got to see if he can still play because that's like the big thing where it's like, Cano, you're like, oh, this guy can't play anymore. <laughs> this is a guy who in 2021, and again, he mostly only played against lefties. It was 300 that bats though. It was like, there was no no small sample. 143 WRC plus. That was 2021. Yeah. Like that's a guy that's like, that's not that far away. Like there's no reason that there isn't still a legitimate hitter inside that body. Yeah. No, he's got the track record. Um, you know, they, they obviously they traded such a large haul to get him. Um, they obviously saw something in him. Yeah, I hope, you know, he's certainly got room to improve as a Met. I, I, I hope <laughs> that, uh, you know, they do give him a chance. I think that, of course, today's big news uh, was uh, Tommy Pham signing with the Mets for one year, six million. He's got a very, very good line against left-handers himself. So I assume that he'll probably get looks at DH as well, considering he's a fourth outfielder now. But, you know, how does the outfield kind of, fit together to you guys. You mean you got your your Nimo, your Marte, your your Kana where, you know, Tommy Pham is a is a very low risk option. He could actually provide a lot of value if they find the right places for him. 
I think weirdly enough, if I remember correctly, Canna actually struggled against lefties last year. So as weird as it sounds, you might be able to actually platoon him and Fam still because of Fam's success against lefties and just let Fam face them. Because Canna, like his entire career, he has hit lefties better, I believe. But last year, he really did struggle. And when we spoke to him, we talked to him about like um, how he changed his stance. And it's because he felt like he couldn't see Brad Hand well. And he knew that was a problem because he couldn't hit Brad Hand. So maybe there's just something going on with Mark Hanna and lefties and Tommy Pham could be that weird platoon, even though they're both righties. And Pham, Pham's also just like kind of a good foil for Canna because while Canna will, I mean, maybe not even just uh, Tommy Pham, this team, I think just needs somebody who could like be on the bench or play once in a while who could hit a home run sometimes. Yeah. Like that, that's very important. A guy who can play defense and also hit home runs because we've lacked that on the bench for about a year going back now. And Pham, at worst case scenario, Whatever he does, he can do that. And he's just good to have another like guy who's like objectively on the border of starter quality, like who can sit on your bench. So if anybody is going through a rough patch or if Jeff McNeil like dives into the stands, like you have someone who could just play for a few days, you don't have to really worry about production. I think he's the type of guy that you want on your side of things also, right? Like he's willing fantasy to football leagues. Jack <laughs> Peterson about fantasy football. What is he willing to do for his, uh, his teammates? I, uh, I, I think that that's what made the, the Martino tweet today, which I, I know a lot of people are blocked by him, but um, the, the, the Mets did look into his background and, and found that the people really like Tommy fam. Uh, if they're on his side, I feel like without a doubt, Tommy Pham does has an, does have an edge, whether you like it or not. The guy <laughs> definitely has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and definitely brings something that the Mets lack on this team. But I don't know. My my main concern was always about like, I, I just love the chemistry of this team. And I know that's like the annoying thing that every Mets fan, it says about every single Mets team every year is like, oh, they're such good friends. They're like a family. <laughs> so like that always concerns me when you bring in a new guy who's, you know, had a little bit of a track record of being a little crazy. But if his teammates from other teams like him, that's all the that's all the endorsement I need. The Mets also, by my count, now lead the entire Major League Baseball and members of their on-field team who have been stabbed with two. <laughs> yeah so that's a big that's a big one for our edge but i, do, I don't know i think if, if <laughs> i feel like if it was a problem they wouldn't have you know if it, like there's no way they would have brought them in or if they did it's probably not gonna be for much money anyway you could just figure out the next part of it but at least it's at least it's just a, a fourth a fourth outfielder that's not clearly that can you know yeah. can spell anybody that needs to be spelled and again speed power good good walk rate doesn't chase bad pitches that's i think it's a good it's a good skill set for a guy who's a part-time player definitely Absolutely. And, and this is the thing that you really rely upon also with having Buck Walter as your manager, right? It's kind of like having Belichick run your team. You can bring in these different personalities and uh, know that they've either got to fall in line or, uh, or they won't be part of the program going forward. I mean, I guess <laughs> maybe again, maybe this team just needs an edge. You just need a guy who's a little, a little mean. Everyone's so nice in this Mets team. <laughs> we got a couple guys with edge this off season. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. You guys imagine Buck behind closed doors just being like just an irascible prick. Like, like what a left turn out of nowhere. 
Buck I feel the, the the edge that everybody needed. Buck, I I can't get a single read on that guy. I have no <laughs> clue how he operates. All I know is that like everybody loves him. Everybody loves Buck, no matter who you talk to. And they, I feel like it's a different answer from every single person is why they like him too. So I mean that that seems like he's a good dude, I guess. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But like you know, him being the heel in that clubhouse, or just being like like the. Uh, <laughs> the 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 fire starter, but in like a kind of like a jerkish way. Like maybe that's what fam's gonna bring, but it would be like the just the the shock of the world to see like no, it's actually Buck <laughs> pushing people's buttons and like pulling the meanest pranks you could think of. <laughs> the, the, this is kind of funny. This is our day the point of the day to make uh, Mets fan skin crawl. The the bad X projection system just came out. I think it was either today or yesterday. Which if anyone out there plays fantasy baseball, this is this is your one stop shop for for the most accurate projections year over year. Derek Carthy like basically wins the projection award every single year. And Tommy Pham in this projection system has a higher projected WOBA than than Starling Marte, Marcana, and Jeff McNeil. Let's do it. If anybody wants to get really mad. Are those other guys expected WOBAs good though? Yes, they're all good. All of them, all, all right. theirs are good. Oh, there everyone, we go. three, everyone's 310 and above, 315 and above. All right, they're good. That's the good spin right there. Yeah. Dude, back, this is everyone. a team that, that didn't really strike out, and they were constructed not to strike out last year by bringing in Marte, bringing in Canna, bringing in Escobar. They came in to hit with two strikes and hit with runners in scoring position, and, and they they built that. I mean, they came in with this goal, and they kind of achieved it. Um, you know, they had a very good offense. And, you know, of course, they didn't get Correa, but what they've been able to do and what they've been able to just kind of – Dink and dunk together almost. It's it's still a very you know efficient roster. We should be able to do a lot this year. Are you guys overly concerned that maybe they didn't do enough to keep up with the Padres or the Dodgers or the Braves or the Phillies of the world? I feel like my mindset, like for every team usually going into a season, is like I got it. I have to see improvements. And it might be a little bit tougher to see with the Mets because they did win 101 games last year. So it is it is really, really difficult to improve upon that. But at least with them staying relatively close to it, I think that's fine. Just because we saw you don't have to win 101 games to even make the World Series. Like It's about getting hot at the right time. And I do like that as much as DeGrom leaving hurts, there's a world where he throws 100 innings again this year. And Justin Verlander coming off the time John looked amazing and was a Cy Young Award winner and looked strong as ever. I like that the Mets seem to replenish those innings that they were missing pretty quickly and pretty easily. And the offense, like you said, is still pretty good. I'm not worried by any means about this team. I think they're going to be just fine. I'm just interested to see what it actually looks like on paper again for another season. We're out on the field, I should say. Yeah, I think it's it's just like uh, it is hard to have ever gotten any improvement of what we got last year, like Mark just said, but it's pretty remarkable how much work this front office had to do to even get back what was there. Like between, I think they lost like 800 and 900 innings from last year's roster to, at the beginning of free agency, which was in itself just a bear to solve. They got a lot of more intricate and interesting bullpen options, specifically talking about Brooks Raley, uh, Jeff Brigham, and um, and uh, David Robertson, of course, is probably the name. Everyone's screaming at me, David Robertson. But just to get this band back together, which is you never really want to hear that. Like when you're a fan of a sports team, you get the band back together, especially when like three or four guys in this team had literally career seasons last year. We know that there's just kind of like a like a plateau you will have as a baseball team where like that now, like I can't win the World Series and I can win the World Series. And this roster, not even thinking about 
last year and not even think about next year. It's definitely above that line where it's like they can win the World Series. There's enough pieces there to do it. Are they the favorites? No. Like, but they can win the World Series. That's it. I They're agree. past yeah. that line, which is something that most baseball fans would would die to hear about their team. And I think we probably should have known that lesson already, right? Because we lived through 2015 where a team got hot, where one guy specifically really got hot, carried them to the postseason, and then another guy turned into Babe Ruth. Who <laughs> never hit Talking about Kelly Johnson, of course, right? Juan yeah, <laughs> Uribe. Um, and, and so maybe we should have known the lesson, but the Phillies reminded us this year because, I mean, we pounded them, and uh, and they were one of the last two teams standing anyway. Like uh, question that I had, uh, we, we talked about the, the kind of dinking and dunking that this team did. It was a lot of stringing together hits when the offense was rolling. Um, do you think that the players have thought at all about the fact that a lot of the teams that end up going deep into October are the ones that hit a lot of home runs? Do you think that any of these guys, or at least in your conversations with them have thought about, maybe modifying their approach and, and swinging, trying to hit for more power? I think probably not just because I think a lot, I think this is a lot of how the guys play. And I think this is truly how they are most comfortable as players. Like you've, you've heard Jeff McNeil. I feel like talk about it the most as a guy who has had a 20 home run season and went back to what, like six or seven last year um, and how he's like, yeah, I'm just going to be a contact hitter. That's when I feel best. That's when I feel like I'm playing my best. And I feel like a lot of the Mets guys on this team don't try and do too much. Don't try to do something that they can't. We've seen Pete try it at times. You see him when he tries to get excited and try to win a game for you. You know when it's happening. You're like, oh, he's going to swing at three straight sliders here. But <laughs> I, for the most part, I feel like the Mets team in general kind of just stays within themselves and really knows the kind of players that they are and doesn't try to do too much. But yeah, I mean, it would be nice to hit a few more home runs for sure. How audible is the vacuuming that you guys are hearing on my, do you hear it at all? No, no. no. Okay, great. Just making sure I was me the whole time, but I'm sorry. I, that out. I do. I do agree with Mark about the way that the players approach and it, it'd be, it'd be fool's errand to ask any major league baseball player to drastically change their approach at this point in their career. But I do think that there is, is it, we could just kind of read the tea leaves as fans. And then in this moment, podcasters that the organization may have acknowledged that they kind of over leveraged themselves on this contact oriented approach, because heading into last season, we heard a lot of things from Ben Zausmer talking to the media, the Mets assistant general manager being like, we want to build a team for city field specifically. We want to build teams contact oriented. Don't want to strike out. You have to play to your advantages. He's trying to find advantages in the park. You play 81 games in, we see a lot of teams across baseball kind of build their teams based on the parks they play in and be, it'd be silly not to, but, just going about the beginning of this offseason and then just the process of even searching for Carlos Correa and then the kind the way they spoke about him when it was when it was thought they might have him i think that shows that maybe they realized that that could have been something that wasn't exactly the most advantageous strategy to winning a world series and now maybe that is just going to subliminally work itself into the new hitting instruction new 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 ideas about discipline just even bring a bench player in like fam over a bench player like i don't know like a jerickson profile who has a similar profile just with more contact less power so here's here's my one thing i have to say about like the the correa at third base like being that missing piece like we know the the famous saying is that relatively speaking power wise he doesn't really bring any more power than we kind of already have at the position. He's just like, obviously simply a better player. Like we know he's one of the best players in baseball. So that's why to me that comment like was, you know, fair and unfair at the same time. Cause it's like, if we are missing that power aspect, 
Carlos Correa technically really wasn't the answer. Like extra base hit wise, even if you want to go there, not much more than what Eduardo Escobar put up. Now I'm not trying to say they're even close to the same player. It's not true at all. But that's, I think, more so like we're just getting a simply better player. It's not really like this much bigger bat, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a much bigger bat. I don't know. The barrel rate, the fly balls, the I think there's more power there. No, there is more power, but I mean, like, we're we're acting like Carlos Gray is hitting 40 home runs a season and we're missing no, of course, that. Not doing that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, to I mean, me, we're, like, still, we're, still hitting the, we're still hitting the copium. For sure. I mean, that, listen, I no. said it was two weeks and it's been a week. Like, whatever it's been, it's still, it's still hell. The copium <laughs> would me be, would me be saying uh, that, that Carlos Correa is just Luis Guillorme with a, you know, 75% more total bases. Yes. <laughs> that would yeah, be you only need 64 only RBIs. You're going to pay a guy for 64 RBIs. Eduardo <laughs> Escobar is 69. Like, who, who needs this? I know RBIs are important. So you win games. <laughs> So do you think then um, maybe the fact that they, that some of the players know that they're more comfortable that way, does that put more pressure on the real sluggers, the the Vogelbacks and the Peets uh, to, to hit for more power? You think? I don't even think Pete could put more pressure on himself. Like he just wants it bad. You see it every single at bat. He's like, damn it. In May, he'll snap. Like, there's no, how many guys in the league still snap bats over their knees? Like, that doesn't <laughs> happen super often ever. So I think Pete has both a lot and a very sufficient amount of pressure. He's placed himself on his own shoulders to the point where he doesn't even, he's, he's like, he, he's so in the game. He's not even going to feel the pressure we're putting on him. And I've, I kind of like that Vogelbacks there too, because I feel like, you know, he's considered the other big slugger on this team in terms of like power and home run stuff. And it feels like he could just keep Pete like a little bit more loose, maybe just like keep him a little bit, a little bit looser. And uh, I mean, like you saw that there were boys during the season. It seemed like they did a couple things with each other. So I, I feel like having at least another power hitter to maybe share these, uh, you know, pressures with will help him a little bit for sure. I think Vogelback's going to have a very big season, actually. I think I think so, too. He's ready to pop, man. I he's a good he, hitter. He he's just straight up good. 140 weighted runs created plus as a Met last year. I mean, he, yeah. he's fine. He, he struck, out, struck out in some big spots. Definitely looked at some pitches he probably could have clobbered. But, you know, this is what the offseason for. You work you work on some things. You, you know, you learn some things from the new staff you're with. You adopt some stuff. Whatever the case may be. I think he's in really in line for a big, big season. Daniel Vogelbach was sneaky, a second round pick in the in the draft ten years ago. He's a second Legi- rounder. Yeah, like he he had a, wow. he had very legitimate pedigree. I think I think he was coming straight out of high school. He he I don't know, it was probably college. It was college, yeah. But he uh, he, he had guy the guy could play. His minor league stats were insane. Like he was that funny guy in like deep fantasy baseball circles where it was just like X XK rate, X walk rate, X isolated slugging. Like how many players in minor leagues do it? And it's like the top four prospects and Daniel Vogelbach every single year. <laughs> And it's just like, it goes back to the old money ball adage. Like, I don't care that he doesn't look the way I want him to look. I just want him to hit the way I want him to hit. Like, that's really the only thing that matters here. And there's like almost no doubt he's going to be able to hit the way we want him to hit. So just get along for the ride and get ready for uh, Danny boy. He like low-key played one of his better stretches of baseball with the Mets. It's just, he Tired didn't career, like, yeah. he just like didn't hit the home run that's, uh, you know, uh, Lindor fan 36 needed at that moment. So now they hate him. And because he's fat, he's easy to make fun of. Oh. He even hit like one of the bigger home runs that, that I mean, that could have been one of the bigger home runs in game that we like we'll dream to forget that Sunday against the Braves. Like he, oh, yeah. he, he had a big hit right there. And I was like, oh, we really forgot that one because everyone else didn't do what they had to do. Yeah. But it goes back to what you guys were saying a little while ago, that if, if everyone does their job and does what they were brought to this team to do, this team's going to have a lot of success. I mean, we saw last year. And I think that, you know, this is just this kind of a tip, tip of that iceberg. And 
it's going to be big. I feel like also, I don't know, Starlin Marte was so big for this team last year, and I feel like we really saw this team thrive when he was healthy and playing a lot more. And I feel like, you know, getting another season with him in New York and the way that he plays, and he was he was so good, especially in the first inning. He was unbelievable. It seemed like he had a home run. Every, every home run that he hit was in the first inning, but I, I really love having him in the lineup. He's a guy that I was waiting to be on the Mets forever, and now that he's finally here, so excited that he was there. And he just... He makes this lineup so much deeper, I feel like, and kind of goes under the radar sometimes among Mets fans. And I think we also is just we're we're kind of we're kind of cursed of being like we're looking at this team every single day, so we're seeing all the problems that we want to see more so than anything else. Like the Atlanta Braves just went through an offseason shortstopless. Yeah, like I'm, I'm maybe I'm jinxing them, and they're going to have Willie Adamas on their team by the morning. But they're also <laughs> going into the, like we're worried about the Mets DH. Like their DH is going to be Marcelo Zuna. Like they have Sam Hilliard and like Jordan Luplau as their bench players. Like this is not a situation where it's like. Oh my God, everyone else reloaded so much. Like the Phillies got Trey Turner for sure, but they still have Bryson Stodd who can't, who can't really, hey, he hit a little bit towards the end of the year. Brandon Marsh, who's never hit the guys in there. They, Cody Clemens, Roger's son is on their bench to start the year. He's like their primary depth piece. Like every, every single team who goes to going for and people think are so much better than the Mets have these glaring holes that Mets fans themselves will not realize until the season starts. And you're actually seeing these guys every single day. So sometimes you got to just like, you know, take a step back and like see the forest for the trees. <laughs> it's a good line. Yeah. Well, Marte too, the the quad was such a bummer for him because he was running so much the first half of the year yeah. until he got hurt. And that that completely changed the offense too. Being able to stretch one into two, which he did so many times, was uh was awesome. And he broke up a ton of double plays too. Yeah, no, he's he's a really, really good player. I, the team they have, they have a really good team. They have a really good team. <laughs> I think I think like 90% of Mets fans know that, but you know, there's still the loud minority that you know, it was like, oh, this team's this team's gonna finish in fourth place. They're not gonna do anything. And I I don't know what you do with those people. I don't know how you convince them any more than we can already. No, it's what can what can you do? Like you said, there's there's nothing you can do. I mean, everyone's gonna fan how they're they're gonna fan. And um, you know, grain of salt. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, just to shift gears real quick, uh, I, I did want to take a few minutes to congratulate you guys on this meteoric rise. Um What's it been like working for the Mets? It, let, let me tell you, it's <laughs> it's really it's cool. I mean, it's really cool. Like the, the easiest way to explain it is cool. The fact that like, you know, me and James can walk in and go to any game that we want and we get to go on the field like it sounds like really I hate it because it sounds like we're bragging. But like these are like the really cool perks of being able to work with them, getting to talk to these players, go on the field um, and just be around the Mets as much as we have. Like I never once imagined last night when we were recording the episode. We're in City Field. We're one of 20 people that are probably still in City Field at that time. And we're walking around the stadium, looking out on the field. It's, you know, eight o'clock at night. Uh, just stuff that you would like as a kid be like, I wonder what City feels like, you know, at, at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night in January. And we get to actually experience it. It's cool. Yeah, it's just it's funny just having like is now. We've, we've done like we last year was such a rush because it happened in the middle of the season. Then we had like the whole run, the playoffs and like just got like smacked by the bus. So we didn't really ever like really think about anything. It was just kind of happening. So now it's just like, we put that in our brains and it's kind of like normal. I guess like Mark was calling the elevator. I'm like, oh, let's go look at the field. He's like, yeah, good idea. <laughs> just like, let's look at the field. Like it feels good to look at city field, which is like kind of stupid and like kind of corny, but it's just, it's a great feeling to be like, I could see city field with my eyes. Like Mark said, on a Tuesday in January. And there's like so many great people that work there that we've like gotten to know, like our, our producer Vito, our, our stats guy, third quasi third member of the podcast. Now, John, all the people in production that are great. Like, 
last year jeff mcneil walked up to us told us congratulations like it's like this it's weird it's like crazy shit that's like i could never imagine this would have happened yeah uh, i mean like between the talking to the players and like hopefully some opportunities we get this year it's it's all stuff that when me and james started doing our mets podcast together we were like ah, maybe maybe we'll get one or two guys a year and we'll be able to just like we're gonna have to really grind this out to get them on here we're gonna have to know some people pull some strings uh now that work is not is done for us which is really nice <laughs> yeah like a, for the first ever player guest we had in the show was technically technically jalen palmer but really it was like an entire day where we did the brooklyn cyclones and it was jalen palmer ronnie mauricio and Francisco Alvarez. Am I missing? There was on, wasn't a fourth no, guy. I was just those three. Yeah. And the whole reason we even were able to do that was because <laughs> it's crazy. My my dad years ago, he works in downtown Brooklyn. So he did like a corporate event for his company at where the Cyclones play, Maimonides Park. And by doing that, he got connected with the Cyclones general manager, which when you're a minor league general manager, it's just a lot of like ballpark operations, partnerships, community events, stuff like that. And then I was like, yo, give me that guy's email. And then <laughs> I took it and like I emailed him like three times a week for like a month straight until he connected me with their head of comms. And then he was like, you guys want media passes? Sure. And then we drove, we drove there like through Brooklyn, like a Tuesday afternoon. And we just kind of like hung around the dugout and they were like, we'll bring you, we'll bring you the guys that you want. We hope. And they're like, okay. And then they just brought us these guys. And we brought one, well, we forced one of our friends who's native Venezuela to take a sick day so we can come and translate for us. Like it was the most rinky dink stuff ever. And now we're just, and now we just, we were sitting in like a studio with Justin Verlander. It's like, I can't, I can't, I can't believe what's happened. Yeah. Rinky dink or grinding your ass off. I'm going to go with the latter on that one. <laughs> I think a little, bit of both, little bring, bit of both. Yeah. Both are true. You got, you got to be able to do it all. I think you guys bring like a very authentic informed fan perspective to the entire thing. And I think that's why it's been so successful. So it's no, awesome. I really, really appreciate to hear that. Cause our, our, you know, like working with the team, there's obviously certain limitations that you have of, you know, things that can and can't be said. So we always like are trying to make sure that we still stay true to like what we would have done the podcast without the Mets as much as we physically can. Yeah. It's just, that was always the goal anyways. Like we just want to like be able to talk about the Mets in a way that like the way that everyone should be talking about the Mets. Like, let's just talk about the team. Let's, let's not, let's not fly off the handle. Let's not go crazy. Maybe sometimes like if it calls for it, but like always, always keep like, you know, keep the takes here, keep the, keep the stats, keep the data, keep the emotion, like keep that all in the same spot and just, and just kind of let loose. Cause everyone's like this, this, this psycho shit rooting for this team. Like this is true. <laughs> it's a true cult, like none other. So to be, to be, to be like a, a voice inside of that is, is pretty cool. Yeah. 162 is, is such a ride that I, I think it's, um, you know, you really have to center yourself and keep that perspective. That was the first time the baseball season like felt real long. And like when it ended, I was like, wow, <laughs> deep breath. Like I need, I need, I have a break. This is crazy. Like a first time that a weight was lifted off my shoulder, even though like I loved every second of it. Yeah. It was almost we Cause we, both of us, like the day after the, the, the death, we like, both like are you like what can you what are you doing right now? I can't I can't even move. Like I can't I literally didn't get out of bed that day. I, like I broke out in a fever. Like I had to go to the urgent care. I was like something happened in my body. It was kind of like you're moving so fast and there's so much momentum. And all of a sudden like it stops and your body keeps going, but like everything else stayed behind. And it's like I, I, I you can't even find yourself. But it's just like if it, it feels it, it feels so good while you're doing it. It's just like you never wanted to stop. You weren't kidding. You literally felt like you got hit by a bus. Literally felt like I hit by a bus. I felt like I felt like I got hit by the bus and like my body made it upstairs and like all my everything inside my body was still in Queens. <laughs> That's called mental exhaustion, my friend. 
Yeah. Yeah, prob- probably. But I'm the, we're 26. We try to pretend that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, call me when you're 39 like me and, and you guys can give me an update. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope so. All right. Well, guys, I, I we can't thank you enough for, for taking some time to chat. Um, this has been great. Again, a million congratulations on the success of the pod on, on the, the, the steps you guys are taking to just keep it moving and um, really just uh, respect the grind immensely. No, oh, thanks a lot. No, I appreciate it. I mean, we've, we've been friends with you guys now on Twitter for a while now, so it's always great to, you know, hop on here and have a conversation with you guys as well. We love it. Yeah. And respect all the content grinds, like to make, to make any kind of content in sports is you got to just put your head down and say, let's, let's go. Like you didn't, you gotta be able to do it. So thank you guys for having us on. This is, this is a great show. All right. Well, if you guys are not familiar, the, the sign off is, um, is a bit explicit and considering your Mets employees and this might get shared. It's we'll stick to let's freaking go Mets today. If that's helpful. Nah, fuck that. All right. All right, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Um, all the regular podcast places you, you regularly search for. Uh, we'll be back probably next week. Uh, still very much in off season mode, but you'll hear it first when we're back. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Peace.